So can you tell me what your name is and where you're located, first of all? My name is Jeanette Rogers, and I'm from Seattle, Washington. Jeanette, tell me what's the best session or your favorite session that you attended today? Today, the best session I attended was probably the progression, the instructional design and learning progression. And what about that progression? I attended the same one. So what, what about it caught your attention or what did you remember that you liked? Progressions in general are really nice because you get the chance to go to a bunch of different tables and get quick information on specific topics. And there were a couple in particular that I went to today. There was one on, um, on Captivate versus Mimic. So it was a good way to get a quick overview of, and a comparison of two different tools for creating training materials. And another one was a quick introduction to understanding why people might not be accessing your online learning tools. So um, what kinds of things might be stopping people from being able to use your video that you're creating online. So as you were watching the tool comparison between Mimic and Captivate, which tool were you persuaded most towards? I'm already biased because I'm a very active Captivate user, so I was really curious what Mimic had to offer, and I was hoping to learn some of the pain points. And the presenter was very nice to take some time afterwards to talk to me about some of those pain points as well that I see in Captivate and how Mimic might handle them differently. Okay, the other point you mentioned was that obstacles or, or things that, that can stop your e-learning. Can you elaborate on, on some of that? I mean, are you going to do anything different after having listened to some of these? The, the handout is something I'm definitely going to share with everybody in my group who creates training materials. It was really valuable for having a checklist of what are the things you need to think about when you go to create your e-learning session for what computers are they using, who's your audience, what kind of, what kind of um, web browser are they using. What, what obstacles like that, you know, are they using Internet Explorer or Firefox or are they using a Macintosh and making sure that you're delivering for the group as appropriate and especially if it's a really broad group and then tech support that they might need or instructions for how to access the system and enable pop-up blockers or something like that just to make sure that you have a seamless experience with your training video. So it sounds like you do a lot of training and you use a lot of screen demos. <clears throat> um, why did you decide to go in that direction rather than another direction? I mean, is there any particular thing about making um, tutorials in screen demos that you like a lot? That is a very good question, Tom. And I really enjoy l using the tools. And it's, a, it's an easy way to I, you know what, we'll have to delete this whole section because I don't think I have a good answer for that one. Um, but, you know, that, that's okay, that's okay. I mean, a lot of times we don't know exactly why, why we choose certain things or why we do. But I kind of asked it in a leading way because I, I feel like people nowadays really want to see things. They, they want the visual. They want a show-me experience. And so I, I just write traditional help. I write online help how-to guides and we're moving in that direction more to integrate it into our help and I just think that it's it's critical um, to, to provide multimedia in there to try to capture audience do you have any thoughts on that or I definitely have some thoughts on that because 
it's very easy nowadays to create multimedia documents and to say something is training and while you can create some great training materials that are online and web-based and computer-based training it really takes a lot of work to make sure that they're effective and that you build out scenarios and you give people the chance to do hands-on work and so there's a lot of theory that goes along with learning that you have to think about and incorporate with e-learning it's very easy to throw content up on the web and very easy to create a basic video but it might be a demonstration and you have no way of testing for knowledge that somebody actually learned something so really you have to marry the practice with good adult learning theory when you are creating those videos. Now, one, one time uh, somebody came to our chapter and gave us a demonstration of a Captivate video they had done. And they said that it, it took them a long time, like 75 hours to do a very short Captivate demonstration. How, how long would you say is the average to do a two minute or a two, three minute little screen demo? How long do you think on average it takes a person? There are a lot of factors that go into that, and it depends on what you're qualifying as hours to create the video. Is that just to sit down and use the tool to create it, or is that all of the project management and the research and understanding of, of the content you're going to train? and then developing all of that as well. The basic guideline is about 40 hours of work per one hour of computer-based training. And um, that was more you know, demonstration, that sort of thing. So that's the basic guideline that people try and go by. But you really have to think about all the components that go into it. All right, now let's move into a different topic briefly here. You, when I asked you where you're from, you said Seattle. Uh, do you, and you're also part of the, uh, online learning SIG. Right. Sorry. What's the official name of that? The. Anyway. Okay. So, <laughs> you're in a SIG. Tell me, what do you affiliate most with? Chapters or SIGs? And can somebody have just as good an experience in a SIG without a chapter, or do you think they're both crucial to to being a, a I don't know, to to learning? They're both extremely valuable experiences, and and they're both very different. You have your chapters where you can get together with people locally, and that way you can communicate with people in your region, and you're going to have a broader experience with all different types of topics, whereas with a special interest group, you're focused on just a specific topic. So the one that I belong to and am very active in is instructional Instructional Design and Learning Special Interest Group, or the IDL SIG, and it's all focused on training and how to create training materials and adult learning theory and all the different tools that are out there. So I get a very specific experience to that topic with people internationally, whereas with the chapter, it's local and it's all different topics. Now, excuse my ignorance here. I'm going to probably sound really naive, but it seems like the SIGs are pretty much just listservs. How, how do they go beyond just being a listserv? So the instructional design and learning SIG in particular has newsletters that we offer, we send out. We definitely do have a listserv where we can have conversations. We also offer webinars that people can participate in, um, you know, maybe an hour-long conversation on a specific topic. We're trying to do some discussion calls as well so people can call into a number and talk about a specific topic. And um, we're also helping co-sponsor other conferences that are specific to instructional design and learning. So it's not just a list of email messages that you get in your inbox. There's a lot that goes into it. I, it sounds like that SIG is one of the most active and, and popular ones. Because I know some of the other SIGs, they're quite, quite uh, almost dead, it seems like. So, Do you have any final thoughts for us, Jeanette? 
nope, I'm just happy to be at the conference enjoying myself and I hope that other people get a chance to attend the conferences in the future. They're very valuable and you get a lot of opportunity to network and meet people. All right, thank you.